This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Shouldn't you be at work? When the seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. I'll have a low-fat pizza or something like that, or a few biscuits and some milk on a Sunday. And you can pair up if you like, and you can fucking pick someone else to help you, and you can bring your fucking dinner. Panister and Bruce in the queue again. Bruce! Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh and he has to. No! Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin Willie Score. I'm Chris Gold. Joining me, Josh Widdicombe. Hello. And the man who recently had his garden fence kicked in by Tamori Ketsbaya, it's Michael Marden. Hello. You look a bit like Ketsbaya. I'd never thought of that. Oh, come on, mate. That's lazy. That is lazy. Is it? Yeah. It's a shameful man. <laughs> Would you recognise him if you walked in? Not if you walked in, but like if you're in a shop. I think the problem is I'd recognise him if he looked like he did then. No, well, yeah, have you seen pictures of Ketsbaya now? No. He's got a huge afro. No, yeah. Huge. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm always surprised. You know, like uh, footballers who are continually bald, and then it turns out they can grow hair, like Paul Koncheski is an example of that. What? That's a, a decision. Fo- yeah, so his whole career was bald, and now he's retired, he's got hair. <laughs> wow. I find that fascinating. That is weird. I shaved my head long before I receded. Yeah, but I sort of lament it now. It's a good few years I could have with hair. And it's, it's too late now. So, thank you to everyone who has uh, bought tickets to our show at Salford Lowry. I'm not going to lie to you. We're recording this before they went on sale, so I can't tell you how tickets have gone. But if it has sold, then thank you for buying tickets. If no one's bought a ticket yet, we're in serious trouble. <laughs> uh, if you want to buy tickets for that, all you need to do is... Uh, Go on to the Salford Lowry website and they are available there. Now, this week we are joined uh, by the fantastic Max Rushton from um, Guardian Football Weekly podcast. He is talking about Cambridge United, John Beck. It was a lovely, lovely chat. But before that, before that, I've got some correspondence. You got mail. Thank you for all the great correspondence. Uh, as always, um, 
we're falling behind with the amount of good stuff. However, hold on to your hats. Chris Tate has something to tell us. Hi chaps, you've probably come across this before, but I stumbled upon this article and comment online. I'm gonna tell you now, we haven't come across this before. The image is from an online review, right, of Steve Bruce's Striker, okay? So this is uh, a new story uh, from 1999, September the 4th, 1999. The headline, Bruce set to thrill with killer stories. Steve Bruce, uh, Huddersfield's town manager, has branched into literature and written a novel, Striker, which tells the tale of a retired footballer, Steve Barnes, who manages the fictional Leddersford Town. Quote, Steve's not T.S. Eliot or Samuel Beckett, but the book's a damn good read, Reggie Sharp of the publisher's Paragon Press said. It's full of twists and turns, excitement and cliffhangers, he added. Sharp said that the book will appeal to anyone from 14 to 56, <laughs> men or women. Very specific. Yeah. What, what happens at fifty-seven? That means you're not interested in that. <laughs> so specific. The hundred and twenty-eight page striker is to be released on the seventeenth of December and will be, according to Sharp, the first of three novels in the next four months by the former Manchester United defender, who's currently the first division's manager of the month. Striker involves the murder of a young player and our hero Barnes becomes the chief suspect. Next week we'll reveal more. Bet you can't wait about the plots of the next two books. Sweeper and Defender. I'm not sure what this publication is. However, you think that I'm reading it out just because of that? No. <laughs> that news story has a comment underneath. Anonymous said, All three books, Striker, Sweeper and Defender, were published by Paragon Publishing in Huddersfield. They were written by the owner of the company, a guy called Reggie Sharp. What? A former headmaster who was trying to make money as a publisher... He was an obnoxious man who bordered on arrogant to most people who met him. He wrote each book in about three days and then had them printed. Steve Bruce had nothing to do with any of them. I doubt he even read them because they were real drivel. I think he got paid £2,000 for having his name and image on each book and attending a book signing at Waterstones in Huddersfield. I know this because I played a part in converting the text files from MS Word format, which Reggie Sharp wrote them in to Apple Mac formats for printing, which at the time was the only way most print houses worked. On the second book cover, Reggie appears in the picture as janitor with a sweeping brush. The whole affair was a money-making scheme designed to sell Paragon books. Bruce was nothing but a paid figurehead whose fame was used to create awareness. But I think the sales report and only a few hundred fans parting with their money. The rest of the copies were pulped, I believe. Sorry to shatter people's images of Steve, the author, but it wasn't. You were all conned. Wow. I don't know. I mean, we don't know if that's true or not. That's, <laughs> I, just, that's literally someone's comment on the internet. Yeah. We're not saying that's fact. That feels no. like the twist at the start of the third act that precedes the final <laughs> twist. <laughs> that actually, if you trace the IP address of the person who wrote that comment, it was Steve Bruce deflecting. The, the dugout oh, at James's Park. Steve Bruce, yeah. Um, there is a couple of things that happen in that book that make you think maybe it wasn't Steve Bruce, the formations not being anything like normal formations. Yeah, as someone who's not into football, I don't know. I but uh, I think there's enough inside knowledge of the game that I don't think I yeah. could have written it. I think perhaps there's a middle ground here. Steve Bruce has denied it. Like no, no, no not denied. Like um, he said sorry, he not has. Denied yeah, it. He yeah. said he has. Yeah. He has written the books and just yeah. said they're rubbish. Well. Why would he the do search that? Goes is on. he still protecting Reggie? There's a whole book in this. 
If you have any more information on Reggie Sharp, Paragon Press, Steve Bruce, who wrote anything, please do get in touch. Would you? I don't know if I'd want it to be Steve Bruce or not. Like if it came, oh, I want it to be. Yeah. If it came out that it wasn't him, if we uncovered some evidence, I'd be tempted to bury the evidence. <laughs> I think it'd be a shame if it wasn't Steve Bruce. Yeah, it's like um, you know, the Jebediah Springfield episode of The Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> When she finds out that he's a bad guy, but yeah. she doesn't tell the town because the symbol of Jebediah Springfield means more than the <laughs> yeah. truth. Lovely I, 90s reference. I think the symbol of Steve Bruce means more. Okay. Hi, guys. My girlfriend was checking her voicemails and asked me why I'd been repeatedly saying a man's name on a pocket called voicemail she had been left from myself. What was the name I hear you ask? The name was Eddie McGoldrick. Please find attached a video of my pocket call to her while singing the Eddie McGoldrick song driving around Asda Car Park in Pool. <laughs> Keep up the good work, Callum. It's one of the weirder pieces of correspondence we've ever got. So he's driving Eddie around McGoldrick. singing Eddie McGoldrick to himself when he mistakenly left a voicemail for his girlfriend. Who's then just the image of having to explain why he kept saying Eddie McGoldrick. Do you know um, Southampton fans have a bit of a calling card when they go away to away games? They leave stickers of Francis Benali in the yeah, toilet yeah, in yeah. pub. Yeah. What if uh, people just like left Eddie McGoldrick? There was just little cl- Eddie McGoldrick, just maybe written on a maybe a park bench or the inside <laughs> of a gents' loo. I have some stickers printed up with with Eddie McGoldrick's Eddie, Eddie face. Hashtag face. quickly Kevin. Yeah, yeah. If you can, not that we're encouraging people to. I don't know if that's defacing or littering or whatever it is, but improving. Could, yeah, could improving. we <laughs> could we make packets of twenty stickers of Eddie McGoldrick that we could sell on our shop, and then people could just whatever they wanted to do with them would be fine. Yeah, it's out yeah. of our control at that point. Yes. Okay, we'll do that. Okay. okay. Hans Sager's tie sideline update. This is from Thomas Newton. He originally sent us the still of the advertising board. Right. Having sent you the original still of Hans Sager's tie advertising board, Sohouse Park, I have managed to identify the phone number. Oh. <laughs> How's he done that? Is he is, worked for like... You can see it. You can see it. I was looking at it. And he is right. It's either 0252-629-334 or 0752-629-334. Okay. So what would that phone number be now? Would there be a one before the two? Right. What is 0252 as a phone number? I don't know. Didn't we once, we had your copy of the uh, World Cup 1990 magazine. It had the telephone number for the Cameroon Football Association. <laughs> yeah. And we called it. And, and obviously it just went dead. It went nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what those numbers are, but should I just try calling one? Yeah. Go on then. Don't, make sure you don't get the facts. It's one number short. Uh no, no, it hasn't come up. Um, so, if anyone can identify those phone numbers and say that uh, whether you, there is a number that would go in there, yeah, on o two five two six two nine three three four or on o seven five two six two nine three three four, please get in touch because well, if we can get hold of Hans Sager's <laughs> phone number, it would be well worth I phoning mean, up. There is absolutely no chance whatsoever Hans Sager's is going to be in at the end of that line. Well, the best case scenario is that somewhere in a garage lockup there is big box of dead stock of Hans Sager's ties <laughs> that we could buy off him and then redistribute to the world. So if anyone out there, Hans, anyone that knows Hans knows. Imagine if we phoned up and they went, hello, Hans Sager. <laughs> and he's just like really bustling in the background. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get hundreds of other operatives. <laughs> you want a thousand Cantonars? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Press one for olders over a thousand ties. <laughs> um, one final thing on the subject of Eddie McGoldrick. 
Um, so, 22 years after hanging up his boots, it would appear Alvin Martin is back in people's consciousness. Why, Chris? But his son is now in goal for West Ham. Correct. However, the return of Alvin into the limelight reminded me of a similar case uh, to Josh's Eddie McGoldrick earworm that he mentioned a few seasons ago. Whenever Alvin Martin was mentioned on TV in the 90s, I couldn't help but include his name in the final line of the catchy theme tune to Alvin and the Chipmunks. (laughs) (laughs) It's We're the Chipmunks, coming on stronger than ever before. We're the Chipmunks, Alvin Martin Theodore. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That is uh, from Andrew Rees. If you have any more correspondence, this is how you get in touch. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Right, often my favourite episodes where people just talk about their club that we didn't know much about in the 90s. We had Ellis James talking about Swansea City. Yeah. Tom Parry on Wolves. And now, the greatest period in the history of Cambridge, the greatest hot streak of any weird manager ever, John Beck. This is... Max Rushton. Today's guest is Max Rushton, the sound of weekend mornings on TalkSport, the host of the superb Guardian Football Weekly, the Tommy Cannon to Barry Glendening's Bobby Ball, <laughs> and most importantly, Cambridge United's most famous fan. Well, fair? Mark Saggers. Mark and Sager's half team. of Groove Armada. Half of Groove <laughs> yeah. Armada. Uh, Groove Armada's two people, isn't it? It is, yes. So right. one of the people from so Groove Armada. So one of the two. Half <laughs> is, is it the, Groove? Half is the <laughs> It's Jeff Armada. <laughs> <laughs> half is the correct fraction. Well, Max, we're here to talk about the 90s, mm. uh, to, to some extent. Yeah. Have you ever met a 90s footballer? Of course you have. But any, any, mem- any particular footballer stick out? Oh, wow. Do you remember the first footballer you met? I'll tell you a story. So I think it might have been the second season of Soccer AM at the end of the season. Cammy uh, <laughs> came up to me and said, listen, we're doing a charity do in Tenerife and Jeff Stelling can't make it. Do you want to come? And... <laughs> <laughs> at least he was honest about why you're on the yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm never first choice. I understand get, that. Get off the bench. <laughs> I'm only here because half of Groove Armada couldn't make it. I'm aware of that. <laughs> And, uh, and I was like, well, I haven't got much on, you know, just got one more show of the season and then I got two months off, why don't I go? But I remember I roomed with Ian Dowie. Wow. <laughs> Once of this parish. Yeah. Uh, He's had him on. Yeah, lovely guy, isn't lovely he? Lovely bloke. Um, but he was sort of giddy with excitement and we were rooming together and on the first morning, it was like the golf day and I was asleep and he burst into my room in a, a pair of sort of black tight pants going come on like this and I said Ian I don't think you should ever begin anyone's morning (laughs) and then that evening uh, he spent quite a lot of the time when we were getting ready just sort of naked with a towel over his shoulder saying you're out with the party meister now (laughs) (laughs) and then the next morning I was in the shower if you can imagine and was it a dangerous place to be Um, I mean I just couldn't even though I'm probably 15 years younger than all these guys I just couldn't I just couldn't hack the pace. Yeah. You know. And can you see him now naked if you close your eyes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you were very excited about doing a podcast about 94. Oh. Can I can I say I, I, I think this is such a brilliant 
podcast, and I'm not just saying that to sort of curry favour oh, early on. It but, has worked. And so many... Ian Dowry yeah. didn't open with no, it. did he not? <laughs> He's like, come on. <laughs> he was naked with a towel over his <laughs> yeah. Um So many people told me, you've got to listen to this podcast. And I didn't get round to it, A, because there's a lot of true crime, right? <laughs> and, uh, and B, I was just lazy or fearful that it might be better than any of the podcasts that, that I'm on. So I'm a bit behind... But it's essentially this is my entire childhood. I'm yeah. sure people who love this pod, you know, really feel this as their. So I'm a bit behind. So you've just announced uh, a pub quiz at the Hackney Pitch House in 2017. I can't make it, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really sorry about that. Um, but but I wanted to. It was too difficult. Do you know what? <laughs> I'm, I'm the quizzes are. To be honest, the quizzes are difficult. I think, or that I, I find I don't have enough time to answer before you've buzzed in. If I was making technical criticisms. <laughs> I mean, that can join a long list of criticisms. <laughs> it's great fun to be able to criticise a pod yeah. and not be on the end of, <laughs> the end of that. I, it, listening to this pod makes me think of my childhood... Can I describe my childhood bedroom? Please. I took some notes, yeah, yeah. I took some notes for my what, childhood. What, when you were a child? I didn't take the notes then. <laughs> Just on the off chance I'd be on a podcast about this later. Um, so, so I had... Shoot! I was mainly shoots, but yes. I would. I wouldn't. I wasn't a snob about match. I, I think would, it's more highbrow though. Shoot, I wasn't thought, it? Oh, yeah, I think so. And it yeah. had the league ladders. It had. Yeah. You know, it had much more about it. So I had, <laughs> I I had football posters all over my bedroom. It didn't. It was not team related. Oh, so you just put any up? Literally, at John Ebrill, don't care. <laughs> Paul Davis, you know, and and, other teams. And just... any any t- team photos, Scottish football. I didn't care. And I literally, I had a selection of Cambridge and Tottenham kits. Basically, my yeah. dad's a big Tottenham fan, and I they're my big team who win things. That'll get some abuse, and I, it's fine. I've been through that. Um, and so, and I had like a, my little bed, and then I had a camp bed underneath. So I dragged that mattress out and put it on the other side of the room. And the room was not big, but when you're 10, it was quite yeah. big. And I put that mattress on the floor where the radiator was at the other. And I, out of football posters, I made a little goal, right? So there was a little goal out of yeah. football posters. And then if like if just one friend was staying the night, like Matthew or Clive, we would play like headers and volleys. So one of us would be on the mattress in goal. Yeah. And the other would with a sponge football, would throw it against the wall and just do headers and volleys. I used to do that so, off the wall. Yeah, so so I, was, I'm, I am to this day much better at heading a ball coming sort of from the left wing and the right wing like, <laughs> so I had that sort of practice and then if like Matthew and Clive stayed over we'd do like aggressive headers and volleys so you'd have two attacking the ball you'd have two the attacking amount the ball. of time the room was not big and the amount of times we headbutted each other <laughs> and we'd be doing this at like two in the morning and then my dad you'd hear the sound of he'd put his sandals you'd hear these sort of jingly jangle sandals and then we'd all just jump into bed as if we were asleep and the noise had been coming from somewhere else not the room above his and he would he would send them home because they lived down at the road 2 at 2am but, <laughs> but if, if George or Tom were staying over because they lived on the other side of Cambridge yeah. he w- they would just get told off Yeah. so then I and then I had a at the turn of the decade I would say there was an Amstrad CPC 6128 built in disc drive oh yeah lovely. good and I would say early 90s I traded up to an Amiga 500 yes. eventually got the Megabyte upgrade the which changed the noise of when you hit the post on kickoff 2 <laughs> And, and was that, then, so was that the 500 plus? No, that wasn't the. Don't be. No, no. <laughs> the 500 with the Mega upgrade was not the 500 oh, plus. Right. And I traded straight up to an A1200. And I had the A1200. Did oh, you work? I was a 500 plus guy. Mm, I was right. one of those mugs. Okay. Yeah. What a loser. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're with the party meister now. You're going <laughs> to raise your Amiga game. And, and just to set the scene finally, in the video, and I reckon we got a video recorder around that time, I had a blank video 
in the VHS at all times. And at, when there were any goals, I would record them. So I made my own sort of goals compilation videos. Oh, wow. And, and, and it would be a sort of collection of uh, Anglian News, <laughs> Look East, Saint and Greavesy and Transworld Sport. <laughs> and, and at the time, you never really knew when football was on. So, so it was you like a, made it into a long, long goals compilation? It, Transworld Sport, which I don't think we've discussed. Amazing. I right? used to watch on a Saturday morning. Saturday morning, I think, yeah. And it was now, having worked in TV, I understand that its content was mainly dictated by rights issues. Mm. <laughs> At the time, it felt like their editorial policy was insane. <laughs> but, you know, but the thing was with Transworld Sport, right, was you'd be watching, I don't know, it would be doing baseball, and then you just, I would just be like, please be football. And then it would just go, kabaddy. And you'd be like... <laughs> Okay, I'll sit through this, but the next one better be football. And it was just, it was a, such a random, the guy had so such right. a great voice. Yeah, great I met that guy. Stop it. I met, yeah, I, went, I, went, I worked on some Dubai powerboat racing and uh, this guy ran, he ran the company and he had that voice. I recognised uh. the voice <laughs> before I realised who he was. Amazing. Such Amazing. a silky tone. I would love those. I'd love to see those because they're so badly edited. Yeah. You know, sort of, it, 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 because I, I would, didn't really have... I didn't have iMovie have you got at the, the time. <laughs> have you got the videos? I, mean, I have no idea. They may be in a box at my parents' have house. I told you that I taped the 1998 World Cup. All, All of it. Have I told you that? No. no. Oh, what? Yeah. Presumably on, on long play. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> Lovely. So I, I think because I wanted, I think it was probably symbolically an attempt to keep hold of the, t- the sands of time. Yeah. <laughs> but the, and you're quite old in 98. Fifteen. Oh, oh, yeah, okay, okay, fifteen. No, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Right. You're a little oh, bit you... younger than forty. And I, I had a job as a kitchen porter at the local hotel, which paid for me to buy the blank tapes. Wow. So I had all of the tapes of every single game. I can't believe we're two and a half years into this, <laughs> and this is the first time this has come. I've been trawling YouTube for clips. You sat at home somewhere in Devon. There's... No, but what, what clips do you want? Clips of Nigeria versus <laughs> no, Greece in the group stage? There'll, the be, there'll be some gold from Dez in there. There'll be all sorts. But the thing is, I would absolutely... You would... Because don't you find, I'm, I'm, I wake up, and then I put the telly on, and it's, you know, Premier League years, 1995. Mm-hmm. And an hour later, I'm like, why? Like, I know what happens in this. <laughs> I know that Paul Stelterry scores in the last minute. What am I doing? And I'm engaged, but I'm like, God, oh, better win this. One of the most yeah. exciting things I've ever watched was um, I was I watched on the BBC Parliament channel. I was off ill one day, yeah. and they had they were rerunning like the 1963 election or something, and I didn't know the result. <laughs> <laughs> It's so exciting. I hope, that, I, hope, I hope just before that came on, I hope before the 10-hour coverage, they said, and if you don't want to know the look, look away now. Uh, so, before we start, um, we, we normally, uh, we've got, we have our settling questions, have you met a 90s footballer? Yeah. Specific games or rules, we've actually covered that. I've, I've written a new question. Okay, right. Okay. Which I want to ask all fans of lower league teams. What was the half-time entertainment like in the 90s at Cambridge United? I mean, I think it was it was virtually non-existent. So, so the excitement was the half-time scores from Division yeah. 1, right, or the Premier League, because yeah. nobody had a smartphone yeah, no or anything. Phone, yeah. It was like, oh, wow, Arsenal are losing. This is, that was like the big thing. More recently, so not in the 90s, so forgive me again. We have been sponsored for quite a long time by a skip company. Yeah. And so it's kick a ball into a skip. We saw that at Peterborough. Peterborough. Yeah, yeah, they're sponsored they by the same, a, a real skip. Yeah, like, like the youth like team. Two years the youth ago. team had to carry on an actual <laughs> skip. Like, at half time, onto the pitch. Some physios have stopped 
you know, underage teams doing deadlifts. <laughs> <laughs> You shouldn't be bringing on a skip unless you've properly warmed up. Also, what does that do to the pitch? Yeah. Oh, I mean, so many questions. So yeah, half-time was yeah. just, as far as I can remember, and I hate half-time. I think, I hate throw-ins and half-time. <laughs> throw-ins? Yeah. I don't know why, I just don't. Fun and boring. Yeah, fun and boring, yeah. Half-time, what do you do at half-time? Well, I... we used to play, sorry to interrupt, uh-huh. we used to play What Advertising Hoarding Am I Thinking Of? <laughs> Hansager's ties. I'm a huge fan of the the, the bad advertising hoarding yeah. and also the, you know, the sponsorship page on uh, yeah, the players, love, love especially the like John Filan was sponsored just by you know, Jim and Margaret Matthews of Gospel. It wasn't even a company, you know. That's, that's how shit we were. The thought of sponsoring a player or a match just absolutely no. I think interest. I sponsored Tom Champion. Uh, oh, did you for a year or two? Yeah. What is Kit? Or the, I think the I man? sponsored his. Kit. I don't think I sponsored him personally. <laughs> I think I paid four hundred quid. Yeah. And what do you get for that money? Is it you like get the kit? I, well, I think I did get sent it once. It was a bit small for me. Does yeah. he write like letters to you, like if you sort of adopt an animal in a zoo? Yeah, sort of, like, how I'm doing. Weekly updates. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you like the, the friend of the Cypress yeah. donkey. You get an update. I, I didn't. I didn't get many Tom Champion updates. No. <laughs> So let's go back to the start of the 90s. Right, okay, yeah. Well, so let's start by going back to... Uh, uh, you started going in 1986. Yeah. What's, what was the club like at that point? I think my first game was 85 or 86, and so I was six or seven. So I wasn't really across how the club was being run, if I'm honest. Yeah. But my whole memories of it are the smell of cigarettes, because yeah. I'd never really smelt a cigarette. There were no cigarettes in my yeah. household. And, like real swearing yeah because uh, my house was a sort of bloody bugger yeah, yeah house yeah. that was the in, in, in no swearing there, was, there were no f's or c's my yeah. dad i had once heard my dad use the c word when someone ran in front of the car and then he very quickly said i said clot <laughs> <laughs> so my real memories of it were the size of it at the time was just extraordinary obviously it goes on too long for a seven-year-old football yeah so i don't think i lasted yeah. I was there until the end, but I was only there in, in body, not in mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but Steve's... Was the Abbey Stadium, was it a good stadium? I don't think anyone has used that adjective <laughs> <laughs> for it before. So the junior use enclosure, the seats were sort of, they're just, it was just a long bit of wood with like little ridges oh, either really? side. So, so there was no sort of back to those no, chairs. Yeah. And I remember looking at the North Terrace and just thinking, that's where I want to be. Yeah. And thinking that is like, that is the best of human life. <laughs> like, that is the zenith. You cannot... What a place that must be. And, and did you, what age did you graduate? I reckon I graduated from the junior use enclosure to the North Terrace when I was about 15, I would yeah. say. And when you're in it and it's full, you think, this is like the cop. <laughs> <laughs> but what you don't realise is it doesn't even go the entire width of the pitch. Like, <laughs> The disabled enclosure takes up at least a third of that side of the pitch. So you're in a tiny little shed. And when we stood there, there were like, in front of us were like five people in leather jackets who looked like Fox Mulder's nerdy friends in the (laughs) X-Files. And the only thing they'd ever say is, whenever we got a corner, they'd go, we never score from corners. (laughs) And they were right. We were too scared to go right you know, right yeah. middle at the back. That, that's the stadium, right? In 86, you started going. 84, you went 31 games without a victory. So was it, what was the state of the football you're watching at this point? So so that is the, that's the chapter in Fever Pitch. Yeah. Right? It's an amazing chapter of any yeah. book. And I'm sort of sad that Derby County took 
that mantle. You know how like Ipswich fans were desperate for Leicester to beat Southampton ten nil, and I was like, yeah. why? You uh, that is a badge of honour. I mean, the standard of football was was not great, but you know, at that time, you know, they were like fat players and <laughs> they were like really short like like yeah. sort of like inappropriately short players and and like players who definitely just would have a cigarette at half time it was a different beast it was just totally different and obviously the quality of the football didn't really register like like obviously growing up John Beck played and actually was an, like an incredibly cult. He was like Glenn Hoddle for for Division Four. Well, that's so often the case. I know he was with such, George Graham as yeah, well. Such a genius of a footballer, you know, in in those terms. Yeah. But obviously, I grew up with this meteoric rise, and I just presumed this this was how you played football. Yeah. I had no concept really, really that there were other types of football. <laughs> I was like, you know, like this, and it worked right. It just okay. We had two years of sort of tedium and nothing. But this worked. So let's get on to the arrival of John Beck. Okay. John Beck. So when he disappointed, yeah, you don't care, presumably. Not even. Probably didn't even notice. We're seventeenth or eighteenth in Division Four, something yeah. like that. So let's for people who don't know, let's r- run through John Beck's style. How would you describe his style of play? I think the best way to describe it is: we beat Bristol City five-one in the second replay of the fifth round of the FA Cup in nineteen ninety, and. There was a pitch invasion. I was on the pitch, oh, and that. and John Beck is interviewed as fans are coming up and kissing him, and you know the the interviewer is saying, you know, how was that for you? And I think his second sentence was, some of our channel balls were magnificent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is just heaven, isn't it? <laughs> so he he his thinking was, and I actually think quite a lot of League Two football is probably still like this, and and he was thinking was. If the ball is up their end more often than it isn't, we'll get a lot of second balls and we'll score goals. And if you get a couple of quick wingers and you put it in the box and you get two big strikers, you'll score a lot of goals. And yeah. if you work really hard, and and that's what he got. He built this team of actually really quite, technically quite good footballers, actually, who quite a lot of them went on to, to much better things. But he put them in this system that was absolutely unstoppable until people realised how to stop it. And then it, <laughs> and then it was really stoppable. <laughs> so he took, let's, to give you an idea of the success, he, when he took over, you were mid-table in Division 4. Yeah. And that was January 1990. Yeah, so we won the playoffs that year. And when he left, yeah. October 92, so what's that, two and a half years later, you had recently lost in the semi-finals of the playoffs to get into what is now the Premier it would League. Have been what the was first, then the first Premier League? It would have been the first year of the Premier League. And in that season, and I, and, and I might be wrong about this, this is how I remember it, Newcastle equalised in the 94th minute at St James's Park. And we would have won that game. Mm. And we had a goal disallowed at Ayrson Park, Neil Heaney, who was a really good left winger, came from Arsenal, Played I think. Yeah, a lovely footballer. He scored a goal at Ayrson Park, it was disallowed for no reason. And I think if those... If that goal is allowed, and the Newcastle goal isn't allowed, I think we get automatic promotion. Please oh. don't check. Please don't check because that's <laughs> yeah, how remember, we probably remember finished that. like thirty points off the playoffs. But we were so unbelievably close to getting into oh. the Premier, and that is that is our only chance. We'll never have that chance. But Wimbledon did a very similar, yeah. like had a very similar philosophy. So was it that philosophy just worked then in these leagues at this time? It had, I read a it was, thing. I was read, I've read up on John Beck, and there's. An argument that he was the most thoughtful and intelligent 
manager in the lower leagues. Because although you're playing a rudimentary style, he's the only person who's thinking about it mm-hmm. and thinking of doing something different in the same way that someone playing, you know, Pep Guardiola yeah. is, <laughs> is, is, is changing, changing the way football's perceived. He's not just another lower league manager. He's someone who's gone, I've studied this and you can do it like, do you know? Do you know what I mean? I think he once got a scientist. I remember a TV interview where there's a scientist next to him with t- doing numbers and brackets a white and matrices. Plenty knocking about Cambridge. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. They're like ten a penny. And, and but I, I think you're right. And I think a lot of League Two managers probably now, and certainly then Division Four managers would be like, mainly fullbacks hit it down the channels, get a flick on. But if you can get it into the centre mid quickly, do it. But he. Never wanted that. You know, there is this great story that, you know, Steve Claridge was going down the right wing and cut inside 20 minutes in yeah. and created a great chance and he was subbed. <laughs> <laughs> because your right winger was to get to the byline and put the ball in. I don't want you cutting inside. You know, he was that he was that diligent. So, let's go back to the start. Okay, okay. Before the, so, the first season you get promoted in the playoffs mm, at Wembley. Did you yeah. go to Wembley? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it was the what first... Was that experience like? The first ever... Play a final at Wembley. It'd never been at Wembley before. Oh, really? Yeah, that was wow. the first year. So, where that, was it before then? I think they either did two leg games or they just had them at, I don't know, the Vetch field. They just picked yeah, somewhere yeah. random and small. For lower league fans, there is nothing like your team being on Wembley Way. There, you just cannot explain it because you've seen it on TV so much and you've seen all these big teams be there. And when you, But when you get off the tube and you get to, and you just see that like heart, your colours are there. You can't... Whenever you're there, it's just... When you get in and Wembley's half empty, it's a bit sad. But... <laughs> but that way, just, you can feel the way. Oh, you we can feel the way. way. We and feel it is, the way. Don't you think, I just think that's yeah, just... It's, it's amazing. most amazing moment. I don't really remember anything about the game. I remember we won. Who did you play? We played Chesterfield. Oh, yeah, and sorry. Dion scored from a Chris Ledbetter corner midway through the second half. So that oh. was an unbelievable... It was a, just yeah, being at Wembley, it was a totally. It was like other. Wo- it was otherworldly. Like, did you get like the flag and the? I remember when I went to Wembley in '96. I got the the green wig. Yeah. And the <laughs> classic. The classic green wig and the flag that you wear. And I just, I remember I had that flag on my wall. It's just, you don't get that with West Ham or no. Man you? My no. parents, my parents agreed that I could paint my room yellow with black. <laughs> Uh, like sort of trim, but it never it never happened. It was a great shame. I was like, really that's the kind of that. thing they do in an away dressing room to put them off. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, which is another John Beck. Well, he we'll used come... to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can come to that now. Or, yeah, or... yeah. Let's come to John Beck's tactics. <laughs> Amazing. So, so John Beck. First of all, if it was summer, he put the heating on absolutely full in the away dressing room, <laughs> so it was absolutely boiling. And if it was winter, he would turn it off. <laughs> The other thing he did, right? Because he... I also like to think that that's him doing it. Like, literally. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Turning the knob. Also, would you hide the thermostat? Like, I've read this. <laughs> so how you'd have to make it so that they couldn't change yeah, it themselves. Okay. Maybe he had Hive. He had a first. <laughs> <laughs> He's the first ever incarnation of Hive. Um, the other thing he did was on away games. You obviously got half the pitch to warm up on. And so, if we were playing a team that played decent football, he would bring our under 18s to have an 11 aside game on the uh, on the pitch. Just cut it up. <laughs> and a skip as well. Yeah, that's mad. So isn't good, it? isn't it? And, and there was sad. So, so, getting annoyed at this. Oh, or? yeah. I mean, it, uh, Glenn Hoddle, in sort of the later years when he was Swindon manager, 
absolutely hated us. I mean, you can understand why, right? Yeah. It's silky hated. football, the opposite it's philosophy. And they beat us 3 0 in the FA Cup, I think, in the in the season where Beck lost his job. And, and I think it's probably Glenn Hoddle's highest highest point in football. <laughs> it, I, 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 I would suggest. But he would used to, he used to, um, there was so much sand. If you watch in the 91 fifth round, we beat Sheffield Wednesday 4 0. Yeah, I've watched that. Amazing. And the pitch, I mean, it looks like Warburswick or Southwold. <laughs> it is like a beach. And, and, also, he got um, big billboards with the word quality in amber and black, right? Yeah. And they were put in the corner of each pitch so that our fullbacks could look up and just ping it to quality, right? <laughs> why, but why does it say quality? Well, like, because is he, some got... of our channel balls were magnificent. <laughs> <laughs> what a ludicrous question. <laughs> and, and the ball would just land in the sand. You know, it was sort of like hitting a sand... It was like hitting a pitching wedge, literally, or a sandwich. It was... It was uh, they would stop and then we would... The high press. We invented the high press, but on a beach. I wonder what it's like being the groundsman. And <laughs> oh. like, because you're working against your natural instincts. So, Ian Darla, who's been the groundsman at Cambridge United for so long, and the Cambridge United pitch is absolutely beautiful. He got a signed letter, sort of a waiver from John Beck to sort of say, This is not my doing. Like, genuinely, he sort of said, I, I will prepare the pitch like this, but I, I just don't want anyone to. This is not my work. <laughs> no, it's like a, it's like a great, it's like Picasso doing commissions he didn't want people to know about. Right? Amazing. So good. Should we just watch? Uh, yeah. There's a good. Inter- is this the one with the interview at the end? I think. Oh uh, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. When Cambridge reached the sixth round as a fourth division club last season. Well, it could have been put down as a fluke. When they then won promotion in the playoffs, suggested there might well be something here. And now, here they are. Border in front as Dublin takes another gift from a terrible back pass, this time by Danny Wilson. The route is complete. 4-0, and Cambridge are into the sixth round for the second successive season. And the heroes of the hour, Dion Dublin, the goal scorer, John Beck, the manager. Congratulations. A lot of people might have thought you'd have beaten um, Wednesday at home because you've got a tremendous record of late, but 4 0 is a thumping, John. That's right. We played extremely well and uh, it's kept the cup fever going. And the city is a little bit of a sleepy town, it's a bit of a university town, and uh, it's nice to keep the run going. This is before, and I think you were going to bring this up, this is before he moved the away dugout essentially to the corner flag. <laughs> yes, so, so, so they couldn't see half the pitch. <laughs> so he moved the away dugout further down. It was basically on Coldham's Common. It was like outside the stadium. Is that allowed? Well, I don't know. I have no idea. So, so Des Lynham, so Beck and Dion yeah. are in the match today's studio. That was mind-blowing. Right, yeah. the, the thought of having your player and your manager next to Des Lynham, right? <laughs> it was unbelievable. And you wonder if Dion was like, oh, I want to go out with the lads. It's, a, it's an extension what of the... What don't know is yeah. the producer match there in the 90s went on to produce Homes Under the Hammer. So in the long, <laughs> in the long game, Dion made the right decision. <laughs> and, you know, we all sang the user going up and then we went on to win the third division then and we were like, this is... Well, I mean, I sort of thought this is what happened every year. I just presume yeah. yeah. there weren't enough divisions. Eventually, we'd run out of divisions to get promoted from. <laughs> um, Can I take you through a few more John Beckisms oh, yeah, yeah, to check yeah. them? Mm. 
He used to put loads of sugar in the opticians half-time tea. Did you know that? I've heard that one. I would, I would think this would, like, G them up. They'd have full of, like, carbs and be, like, really energised. Yeah, but you'd get, a, you know, if you do it at the start of half-time, you get They're a crashing. sugar rush and then you crash <laughs> start the second half. But also that's implying that the tea sugar isn't done by the individual. But he's sugaring the full, the, the full the vat. Big tag. Yeah. <laughs> also, if the dugout's down by the corner flag and the change room is freezing, I am not drinking the tea. <laughs> also, he handed the visitors uninflated balls for the warmer. Oh, to brilliant! For their... You know, is it, if you think you know when when they talk about Jose at Tottenham, if you go with him, yeah, you go with him, right, and you will be successful. And you know, Claridge rebelled against the system, yeah, and. You know, and John Beck did not like that. They didn't get along. Yeah. And I think that's sort of when it fell apart. Yeah. That we weren't winning. And then I remember overnight he said, we're going to play football. And Phil Chappell got the ball and side-footed it to our right back. And there was this sort of ovation. It was just like this. The first, the first, the first side foot pass for like four years. It was like this unbelievable moment for all of us. Like you know, my dad grew up watching Tottenham in the fifties and the sixties. Right, he talks about Jimmy Greaves all the time, and then he was watching this for years. And he just sort of fainted at this moment. Can I tell a very? This is a very Cambridge-based story. So before the quarterfinal in 1990 against Crystal Palace, where once again we were robbed. So you got two FA Cup Two in a row, yeah. But my dad didn't have a ticket. And so he rang on the morning of the game. He just rang the club and said, I haven't got a ticket. I go. I've been going for 15, 20 years. Can you get me one? And they were like, oh, sort of, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, here's one. So they went, yeah, I've got you one. And it was in the press box. And my dad would always take a book in case he got bored. (laughs) (laughs) What what kind of book? So my dad... I am just to be clear, I'm a man of the people, but my dad was reading Plato's Republic. <laughs> <laughs> and so he sat in the press box and I have a somewhere a signed copy of Plato's Republic by Trevor Brooking. Oh, oh wow. That's, a, that's on brand for Brooking. <laughs> that is amazing. Wow. Um so you got to two quarterfinals yeah. in the FA Cup. Yeah. Then you get into Division Two, mm. which is now the championship. Yeah. And do you think at that point we're going straight up again? Well, obviously, because I was only 11 and we just kept winning. Yeah, you're, just top, winning. But you're top until December 22nd. Oh, God. It's just so depressing because you, you know how if your team wins, you can look at that page, the league table page, for days. Yeah. And, you know, and also, you know, you look at that to page. If you've got a game in hand, that's automatically a win. It's not even, there's no point playing the game. You've won <laughs> yeah. that. And and just when I see old Division Two tables, and you look at the teams that are we are above Blackburn, Newcastle, yeah, yeah, and you're just like Middlesbrough, and it was just it's just sad to think that that you know that was our. I remember you coming to our goal that season. We went down that season. But who, did you have Mick? Heath? You'll never beat Mick Heathcote. At that no, that was time. later. Was on, later. That was nice. So we had um, so we had David Kemp for the first half of the season. Then we had Peter Shilton. Okay. Which was a Brexit, similar... Brexit's Peter Shilton. Brexit's Peter Shilton. <laughs> the best thing about Peter Shilton's Brexit tweets is the next tweet down is Peter Reid going, wind it in, Shilton. <laughs> <laughs> so Shilton was the manager of Plymouth. He took, when he took over, Kemp was from a very similar school to John Beck. Mm-hmm. And then Shilton took over. And there was a similar thing where the goalie rolled the ball out to the right back. Wow. And there was a cheer <laughs> because it had never happened. <laughs> um... But we lost 1-0 on a Tuesday night against you. And I, the two things I vividly remember is there was about... Because you were top, you had like 
40 or 50 fans in this away end. So that's a good that's a good that's a good effort for us. Cuz you were the, by distance the smallest team. Yeah. And also I remember I remember Dion Dublin played for you. I'd heard I'd read in shoot or whatever this guy was like the king of the lower leagues. Was he like the best player? Well, I always thought John Taylor was better because mm. John Taylor was more experienced when we had him. He did some good stuff in Duran Duran, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so what happened to John Taylor? Well, John Taylor went to Bristol Rovers when we got Devon White. It was oh, a total right. disaster. And and he, didn't he came up. back late 90s and we had the sort of tiny renaissance with Roy McFarlane and him and Trevor Benjamin and Martin Butler had this sort of, yeah. this sort of three-way axis. Uh, <laughs> and that was quite fun. But, but he never did what Dion did. No, he never did what He never did what Was Dion, Dion amazing? He was. But, but even still, a million pounds, we were just... The thought of our player going for a million pounds was just yeah. too much. But but yeah. but Man United only signed Cantona because Dion broke his leg. Is that right? Well, that's what I tell myself. <laughs> that has got to be rubbish. <laughs> um, don't, I don't. I don't, I don't want any fact checking <laughs> below the line on this. Um, so ninety two, you finish fifth. Yeah. You get to the playoffs. Yeah. That's your highest ever league finish. This is the peak of Cambridge. Yeah. Ninety two. So I went to the home leg and we drew one one with Leicester, but they were good, and I think we got a late equaliser. Danny O'Shea scored. I remember listening on the radio. To Leicester, basically, they hammered us five nil, five one, five nil, five nil, and that that was it, basically. It. I mean, that was it because them. And then John Beck sacked by October. I mean, that is unbelievable, isn't it? It's but, mad. But, but, like, yeah, two successive promotions, nearly get the third, and he's gone. Did it just all collapse? I think it all collapsed, and, and I think. I think, as you were saying, you know, if, if the players don't buy into it, into that kind of football, then <laughs> well, it's a bit late now. <laughs> <laughs> then we did go down and down and down, and we had we had Gary Johnson from Bit, who was a good manager. Yeah. And then we had this sort of mad period. We went up again. We sort of got up to the third division or League Two or whatever it was yeah. called at the time, and now League One. And then we had this totally insane time when we got Claude Lewis and Irvine Renard. So Claude Lewis, who's the manager of Cameroon, I think so. And Irvine was one Afcon like a load of times. I've got that on video, him being the manager of Cameroon. <laughs> manager of Cameroon do France. <laughs> so I can back that up. Um, when you were on the edge of the Premier League, mm-hmm. do you, did they rebuild the ground? No, it, no, no, no. Would no, that have same... been a Premier League ground? Or would you have had to play at, like, Norwich or something? Oh, God, imagine. I don't know. What was it, 92, 93 is the first season of the Premier League. Mm. So you would have been in the first Premier League. Yeah. Yeah, we would have been on that live, and you know, like uh, the Simple Minds advert, yeah, our yeah, flag. Yeah. What you know, Big Dion deal. Dublin would have been doing bench press next to Warren Barton. We'd have, we'd have had that moment. Uh, it, it is, you know, like football is about hope, right? Isn't it? And and yeah. hope and joy. And they gave us so much hope. And it is sort of sad to think. I mean, it could. It's sad to think it won't happen again, unless you know, like Bournemouth have got a lot of money, right? Because they were going to yeah. go out of League Two, and they. They are. It's a beautiful story, but even still, they bankrolled as well as yeah. having Eddie Howe, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to, to get up to where they've got to. But you have to hold on to that dream that one day it might happen again. Did but, you feel positive towards Dion and Beck after? Like, do you did you follow Dion Dublin as like oh, he's a Cambridge? My national lottery numbers were made up of the squad numbers of former Cambridge players who were in the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> So I had three. You only picked three numbers. <laughs> <laughs> so we had, uh, and I'd double the number. If there were two twenty ones, one was Lee Philpot. I can't remember the other was. Maybe it was Rowett. I'd have three for Kimball, nineteen for Dion. I can't remember who the players were. So, so yeah, yeah I, I think if you sell your, if you sell players on, 
you're so proud of them. Like, I mean, it's strange to hear you as lower league fans be, be proud of players who have left. If someone leaves West Ham, like I'm still bitter about Joe Cole. <laughs> I don't feel I could ever be like that about former players. No. But that, I think that's uh, well, a peculiar thing well, about... Mark Joseph went to Peterborough and I will not mention his name <laughs> without spitting on the floor. <laughs> but that aside, you know, yeah, Philly Boots, I think you really feel that. I mean, it's a, it's sort of, a, it's an extension of the one of your own, right? Of, of Spurs fans loving Harry Kane because you, you are aware that if they are going to achieve greatness they have to go yeah. right? you, you, <laughs> yeah, have, you understand yeah. I'm, I've got another Cambridge 90s question okay. Tom Youngs right, who is a championship manager 97 is, yeah. legend was he, what was he like in re- was he forward right left centre was he a forward right left centre he was like a kind of he was like a little number 10 um, and I was once I was on a boat in the Great Barrier Reef in 1997 98 98 my, my gap year and doing one of those, you know, doing a diving course. And a really tall Norwegian man said to me, is Tom Young's as good in real life? <laughs> I don't, I don't I, look, he was a really lovely footballer, actually. And yeah. you know, this was sort of after the John Beck year, so we had players who could play football. I don't think he was quite how championship manager yeah. created him. Yeah. Can I ask you another Cambridge question from the 90s? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Carlo Corazon. Ah, oh, Carlo Corazon. So, Carlo Corazon. It's I'd, one million Carlo. Yeah, so we had him at Plymouth after, yeah. after you. Yeah. Was he as, as heroic for you as he was for us? So, so... For, so to fill you in, he's a, he was a Canadian centre-forward. So Neil Warnock had him at Plymouth. Yeah. And he just felt so kind of otherworldly. Uh, yeah. Exotic. He's got a Z in his surname. <laughs> Whenever you see that in the lower league, I get excited, even so, now. So, so really? I think he was playing in arguably my favourite ever Cambridge United game yeah, which was in the late 90s we played Cardiff City and David Ellery was the referee and they had three players sent off Cardiff including one for deliberate handball on the line and the final score was Cambridge United nil Cardiff City nil (laughs) (laughs) they had eight honestly if you see 11 against 8 it's so ridiculous so so we missed the penalty the penalty was saved and the rebound was saved I don't know if Carlo took the penalty but it was definitely I'm sure he was on the pitch but it was like it was absolutely hilarious and you you have to find the there is a Radio Cardiff commentary, and it is a bit at the end. Is it a bit like that? I've heard this. It is a bit like it's, the, yeah. It's the like they've won the Maggie league. Thatcher, you know, it's like that Norway <laughs> one. It's like you took one hand of being. It is, um, but like it's. Oh, wow. It was such it amazing. an amazing game. We're in the third minute of injury time after two minutes for signal. Faber had gone down. Butler turns. It's a shot. Oh, 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 You know there is a masochism about being a lower league fan yeah. and, and probably about being a West Ham fan and now being a Man United yeah. fan. <laughs> and you're just there on the terrace going, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> this is totally 
amazing. And you know those there's that there's that company that make those CFAX mugs. Yeah. Yeah. And they asked me for one, and I have Cambridge Neil Cardiff <laughs> Neil. It's not a big seller in there. <laughs> I'll be honest, but it sort of that encapsulates. Yeah. What being a lower league fan is. You're one of those few people. The timings of your life and your team mm. fell perfectly. So we all feel nostalgic about our childhood, but. For you, the best period to be a Cambridge fan yeah. was the period when you first became a Cambridge yeah. fan. Which gave you a full sense of what football was, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really good that I had two years of it being sort of quite boring. Yeah. Because that's what it is now. Yeah. I, I, I've got to talk about the, the, the goals videos oh, yeah. that came out in the 90s for Cambridge United. Yeah. The production values were better than the ones that I made myself at home, <laughs> but only just. <laughs> <laughs> and... In 91, so the year we won the third division and got to the quarterfinals against Arsenal, the commentator was a man called Owen Nurse. He must have been about 13 or 14. And his voice broke halfway through the season. <laughs> so, like, so genuinely, like, so one week he's like, it's a goal for Cambridge. So you've got a John kid, Taylor. A kid commentating yeah. on and your goal. Honestly, the next week he's like, corner for Cambridge <laughs> <laughs> completely unreferenced total genius oh wow if oh, anyone's yeah. got oh, them speaking of those compilation videos like when I wanted to work in TV a friend of my mum's had an old tape to tape editing machine that he gave me to practice on so I thought I was obsessed with like the montage videos that you make at the end of the season and the golf videos and when my friend's dad used to film all of our under 10s and under 11s games on the camcorder so I decided to make like my own like compilation wow. of our uh, under 11s football team. But I was just the right back. I was like a sort of Danny Mills type. So there was a real lack of highlights of, of me. So I put one where I gave away like a penalty. There would be me like kicking out for throwing. To pad it out, there was a player I really didn't like on the team. So I would find bits where he'd fucked up. Or like he'd misplaced passes and like would intercut it with mine. And I put a soundtrack on it, and uh, it was uh, This Is How We Do It by Montel Jordan. <laughs> I still got that in the loft of my mum somewhere. You? Yeah. Oh, wow, I'd love to see that. Um, what, that Nick Hornby chapter, doesn't it mention that you'd play I've Got a Lovely Bunch of Coconuts? Yes, sort of? when we After win a game. Uh, Why? When Why? we win, I don't know. <laughs> Is that still a thing? Yeah. yeah. Wow. At one point on this pod, you were doing unlikely footballing friendships. Yeah. The Nordoff Robbins um, footballer dinner. Yeah. They give an award, they give a sort of like Hall of Fame award. So, you know, I think Beckham's had it, Giggs had it, it was Arsene Wenger this year, and it was Pele. You know, lots of celebrations for Pele, blah, 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 blah. And then Richard Keyes just goes, um, <clears throat> and of course, as everyone knows, one of Pele's greatest friends is Mick Hucknall. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and everybody nods, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Whoa! You know how you know how Zach Morris stopped Saved by the Bell. Right? <laughs> I really want to. So then it says, and as everyone knows, and I and I don't know if I get this the right way round, Pele is the godfather to one of Mick Hucknall's children. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> and everyone's just nodding along, and they say, and obviously, Mick wouldn't miss this evening for the world. And then like a MIDI file of stars. By simply red comes on, and Mick Hucknall comes on in winkle pickers and white jeans, and basically serenades Pele to stars, right? And everybody in the room is just taking this as completely normal. And I look to my, I look to my, like between me and Mick Hucknall sitting to Pele, a Roy Hodgson and Ray Lewington just going, ah, the stars. 
And I, I was like, I, just, I was just, you know, when you're just looking around, you're just, I just wanted somebody, I wanted somebody else to acknowledge that this was the strangest moment in the history of the world. Wow. Oh, it was totally tremendous. I wonder what they talk about. I mean, there's obviously. I mean, Cucknell's a shagger and Pelé was into Viagra, but I don't think that's... <laughs> that's not how you build a great friendship, is it? <laughs> you guys do. It's like the water cooler moment, isn't it? Do you know what I really love? Sex. <laughs> <laughs> Who can I ring? Pelé. <laughs> well, Max, it's been an absolute pleasure learning about Cambridge in the 90s. Oh, I've really enjoyed it. To end, yeah. we ask everyone, it was a decade when all the excitement for you was pre-1993, but what are three years? If you could travel back in time to January the 1st, 1990 and live it all again, would you? Do I have to do exams? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to do adolescence. Oh. Was adolescence worth... I didn't mind adolescence. I just can't... Do you know what? I just can't face studying for <laughs> yeah. anything. So you wouldn't swap that for almost uh, getting but, into the Premier League? But, having just turned 40, I have just started getting, and it's really literally in the last six months envious of 18 year old boys who have all their hair and none of it is grey and, and they've got all their life yeah. to live and I've I've gone from being like fucking kids, so annoying too ah shit, I'd do anything so yes okay. yes I would yeah. um, Max Rushton, thank you very much thank you Thank you to Max. That was a lovely chat. This is our last episode before Christmas, although we are releasing our special final quiz on when, Michael? Well, Christmas Day is a little Christmas treat. Day. Yeah. I wonder, can we see how many listens we get on Christmas Day? Yeah, yeah, yeah we can do that. Oh, we'll God, find out next week. Bleak. <laughs> <laughs> Put us on while you're making the turkey. Do you yeah. know what the quiz would be great for? That kind of dead period around 6pm on Christmas Day when all the presents are yeah. open, like the excitement is kind of lulling. I agree. You can sit back into your drawing room, yeah. put this on and play along with the quiz. Yeah. There we go. Right. Okay, it's time for the ratings and review section of the podcast. We've asked you this series to leave a review on iTunes in the style of some Steve Bruce fan fiction. Doesn't need to be five stars, but it helps. And every week we pick a winner. And if we pick you, you win, Michael. You win one of our lovely uh, Lettersford Town mugs. Yes, indeed. And our winner this week is on iTunes, Bristol Homer, who posted this with the title Holding Roll. My tough tackling midfield enforcer Aaron Corgroves had mysteriously been pushed down a hill, hence the clever title of this book, Suffering a Fatal Metatarsal Fracture. This was all I needed, I ruled. With my reserve keeper having been hit by sniper fire during a recent match, he always has been vulnerable to shots from range I'd quipped to Peter Penrice. Not to mention, <laughs> the ongoing roadworks on the M62. Suddenly, there was a loud, repetitive thumping noise. There was no mistaking that sound, one I knew all too well. Someone was knocking on the door. I opened it. Who are you? I asked, knowing all too well who that idiot was. Gary Pallister from Mulcaster Morning Sport, the idiot replied. <laughs> Steve Barnes, Mulcaster United in England, he asked, like an idiot. I was never capped, I retorted, despite having won the Champions League and scoring a hat-trick in the final. I hear you Teutonically trained holding player has been murdered, he said. The German retriever, I replied, I use this gag on a near daily basis, always getting big laughs, but Pallister wasn't to know that. 
But how could he know? The only person I told about the attack was my PA, who I trusted to a T. No milk, five sugars. <laughs> You're really grinding my gears, I said casually. Unlike my jag, where the handling is beyond reproach. I wish I could say the same about my now very ex-reserve keeper. I've seen your clutch control, laughed Pallister. I bet he'd been a student and never done a hard day's work in his life. Unlike me, who one season played in excess of 40 football matches. <laughs> he'd fallen right into my trap. The Jags' performance has only dipped below its normal flawless performance level since the morning's car chase. So that's you who has been pursuing me in the far inferior Mercedes, I shouted. Pallister pulled a sawn-off M16 assault rifle from his sock. Umbro. So there, was, <laughs> there was only one thing for it. Recreating my famous header against Schaufald Tuesday. I ran, jumped, and nutted him squarely in the face. It may not have been a title winner, but it was twice as satisfying. Then, using my old penalty-taking technique, I prioritised precision over power and side-footed him straight in the Adidas Tangos. That 114 pages where I went on a wild goose chase, accidentally joining the Foreign Legion, had been a complete waste of time after all, I reflected at the end. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Very good. Astonishing, Bristol Homer. You've won a mug. Much deserved. Much deserved. Right. The quiz, Michael. Yeah, as always, it's the 90s football quiz to play at the end of the show. The winner gets to pick which song plays out. Uh, the scores are 4-2 to Chris. He's won the series, so Josh is just playing for pride here. The matching question is Arsenal versus Newcastle United, the 1998 FA Cup final. Arsenal won 2 0. Yeah. Josh, as the current loser, would I you like to pick Anelka played, yeah. I think he scored. Correct. Pavel Cernicek. Oh my god. Incorrect. Oh! What? Is that oh. the game over? Oh no, you get life. He gets an extra life. Um, Shearer? Alan? Surely. Correct. Yeah. Um, Mark Overmars? Correct. Um, Christopher Ray? Correct. A starting, a starting birth. He started, yeah. Uh, Rob Lee? Correct. Um, the goalie? One or two, isn't it, in Arsenal? I, I've just got a feeling. Did they win the league that year? Yes. Yeah. Um, Tony Adams. Correct. I could have a guess at the goalie. Yeah. I'll have the other one then if you're wrong. Oh, it won't matter if you're wrong. Yeah. I've won. <laughs> let's. Uh, well, let's. Let's. I'm going to go big. Uh, West Ham actually got knocked out of the quarterfinals of that FA Cup to Arsenal, and in goal that day was Alex Meninga gone big but has he flown too close to the sun well the thing with that is is just before the World Cup which David Seaman did play in mm. oh yeah it's a very, very good point that quarterfinal would have been in March this is May now sometimes you've got to swing for the fences skull but sometimes you miss oh. <laughs> it was David Seaman oh. unfortunate so the teams were Arsenal David Seaman Lee Dixon Tony Adams Martin Keogh Nigel Winterburn the classic back five. I can't believe no one went for all those. Yeah. In midfield, Ray Parler, Patrick Vieira, Emmanuel Petit, Mark Overmars, oh, up front, team, Christopher Ray, Nicholas Anelka. Uh, Newcastle in goal, Shea Given, and Warren Barton, Steve Howie, Nikos Dabizas, Stuart Pearce, Robert Lee, David Batty, Gary Speed, Alessandro Pistoni, Tamuri Ketsbaya, and Alan Shearer. Tamuri Ketsbaya. good team, up. actually. Yeah, that good team. Good team. That, um, that, the quiz for this episode felt a bit like an end-of-season game. Yeah, yeah. there's not, there not <laughs> enough at stake, was yeah, there? dead rubber. There's a third-place playoff, that one. Yeah. 
Okay, well, uh, I think uh, Sings at Christmas, there's only one 90s Christmas song. Let's do uh, Stay Another Day by E17. Oh, I thought you were going to say All I Want for Christmas by Mariah Carey. Yeah, I, really, I could have actually. So there is two, but we're going to stick with Stay Another Day. Thank you for listening. Uh, we Our Christmas quiz episode is out on Christmas Day with Tom Parry. We will see you then and then for a brand new series early next year. If you want to get some tickets to our live show, go on to the Salford Lowry website and uh, we are there next November. Good to know, especially if you're panicking for a last minute Christmas gift. Maybe if you got to go away, don't think I could take the pain. Won't you stay another day? Oh, don't leave me alone like this. Don't you say it's the final kiss? Won't you stay? This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.